Welcome to Historical Homicide. I'm your host, Christina Bentley. This is the last murder episode of Season 2. Are you ready to delve into it with me? I hope so. We'll get to our story momentarily, but first, I have a question for you. Do you act on impulse or logic? A devil-may-care attitude? Or a more stoic, planned approach to instances and circumstances that come your way? Instant or delayed gratification? What do you choose? How much thought do you put into your decisions? Whatever your perspective, one thing is always certain. Good or bad, our actions will always lead to consequences. May 1910, Dunkirk, New York. The population in Dunkirk in 1910 is significantly more robust than it is today. About 5,000 more people inhabit our 1910, Dunkirk. And why shouldn't they? This city, bordering Lake Erie, is not only a steamship port, but a railroad hub as well. And it's been the site of the Chautauqua County Fair for years. As a side note, it's still the site of the Chautauqua County Fair today. With lots to do in this city with an electric, transient, fun feel to it, one might find themselves on a different side of the tracks, maybe in the glow of a red light. A gentleman can visit one of Ida Rose's ladies, or one of Stella's girls, for an hour or two. The length of your visit depends on the size of your pocketbook. But be warned, no disrespect is permitted. Violators will be taught a lesson and promptly tossed out. It's in this world that we find Jack Doherty, a ne'er-do-well from Erie, Pennsylvania. Jack makes the rash decision to leave his wife and children in Erie to chase something else more lucrative and someone else a bit more exotic, which brings him to Dunkirk. And now a word from our sponsors. Can I share a secret with you? A hidden gem in the heart of Jamestown, New York. Secret undisclosed location offers the best in custom tattoo work. Trained in the art of fine line, neo-traditional, old school Americana, engraving style, and Japanese tattoos, Secret Undisclosed Location ensures a trusting, no regret experience. Face-to-face consultations are free. Call 716-846-1398 or visit secretundisclosed.com to set up your custom appointment. Use the coupon code HH22 for 10% off through the end of the year. Shh, don't tell anybody. Secret undisclosed location. Back to our story. It's 2 a.m. in the city of Dunkirk. It's dark, and Jack, looking through the haze of the streetlights, can just make out the stars in the clear sky above him. He's lying flat on his back on the cold pavement. 
hot blood running out of the wound in his abdomen. Up until this point, a lot of things should have killed him, but didn't. He's cold, with an ominous feeling that this might just be the shot that now claims him. But for now, his shuddered breathing reminds him that he's still alive. And that's enough for now. So how did Jack get here? To answer that, we'll have to go back a ways, to Erie, Pennsylvania. Jack lives in Erie with his wife and children, and despite his best efforts, he works to support them. He'd really rather not, but if he doesn't work, his wife will nag him. We need a home. The children are hungry. These problems are her responsibility, not his. If he could just escape all this pressure and be free of what ties him down, he could be happy. Little else is known about Jack's life before arriving in Dunkirk, only that he has sullied his reputation by abandoning his family in Pennsylvania to chase a woman of the night. This woman, Stella, owns a brothel in Dunkirk. She is enamored of Jack's intensity and devil-may-care attitude toward life. His willingness to stay with her, especially in a profession where men don't usually stick around too long, is a refreshing change. They aren't legally married, but Stella adopts Jack's last name as her own. Stella Doherty. She likes the way it sounds. Jack is just happy to be supported. Stella makes more than enough money, and he is willing to spend it. And if she objects, he'll talk back. With his belt. She's lucky he doesn't mind what she does for a living. No one else would want her anyway, and he happily reminds her of that. At this point, they've been together for two years. And if she continues to support him financially, they'll stay together. But tonight, none of that matters. He's going out on the town with his buddy, Edward Burnett. While Ed's reputation isn't as discreditable as Jack's, he's supported by another madam in town, Ida Rose. The two men gallivant around the city and have a brief encounter with two police officers. Best not to be too disorderly in public. The men head back to see friends gathered at Stella's place, known as a house of ill repute or ill fame. Before we discuss Stella and her house of ill fame, a word from our sponsors. Would you kill to be beautiful? The good news is, you don't have to. Visit the Aesthetic House on Fairmount Avenue in Jamestown. Their kind and supportive staff will put you at ease. They offer a wide range of medical spa services, diamond glow skin treatments, Botox, facial fillers, lip blushing, microblading, laser hair removal, and so much more. And coming soon, skin tightening and body contouring. Book your appointment with the Vigero app under The Aesthetic House or call them at 716-640-2499. The Aesthetic House. When Ed and Jack arrive at Stella's, they see a lot of their friends there. Jack McCafferty is talking up Gertie Johnson. Gertie's a girl who works for Stella. 
and there's another young man they don't recognize. Anna Marshall had a little too much fun tonight and excused herself before they arrived. She's, um, indisposed for the rest of the evening. Anna also works for Stella. Hazel Livingston is new to the area. She's originally from Detroit, but came to Dunkirk by way of Columbus, Ohio. Ed is intrigued. He sees her sitting at the kitchen table with Stella. They're eating a meal when Ed comes over and loudly propositions Hazel for an evening's activity in a drunken, vulgar fashion. In fact, his request is so obscene that later in our story, the newspapers and court jury refuse to repeat it. Jack, upon hearing Ed's insulting epithet directed at Hazel, is infuriated. There's a way things are done around here. A careful dance, a respectful exchange. Ed should know that. He's violated that respect, and now he needs to be taught a lesson. In an inebriated fury, Jack, a much bigger man than Ed, walks over and starts pummeling him. Ed can hardly fight back as the blows just keep coming. Screams erupt as the women beg Jack to stop. He'll kill Ed if he keeps going. Hazel and Stella pull on Jack's coattails, and he finally relents. Although he's bruised, bleeding, and swollen, Ed doesn't skip a beat. He runs quickly out of Stella's house like a dog with his tail between his legs. He won't be a problem for the women anymore. Back to the party. A few minutes later, there's a knock at the door. When Hazel answers it, Ed is standing there. His hat fell off when Jack thumped him, and he wants it back. Hazel asks him to stay by the door while she retrieves his hat. As soon as she leaves the front door entry, boom! Hazel hears a gunshot. She runs back with Ed's hat and pushes him and his revolver out the door, yelling, My God, don't shoot in the house! Ed mutters something as he leaves the house, but doesn't go far. He lingers outside, angrily, drunkenly plotting his next move. Jack Doherty has been a mooching bully to too many people for far too long. He's out of control, and someone has to do something. He can feel his heart beating in his face, more swollen now from Jack's beatdown. Ed walks down the sidewalk to see police officers, the same ones he encountered earlier in the evening. Officers Albert Stum and Peter Glosser. They approach Ed to ensure he's not causing any more trouble. When Jack sneaks out of the side door of Stella's house, Jack walks over and says to the police, Arrest that man! Boom! Before anyone can react, Ed turns, and in one fluid motion, he brings up his revolver and shoots Jack in the abdomen. Stunned, the police detain Ed and call an ambulance for Jack. Before we continue on, a word from our sponsors. Ryder's Cup Coffee Shop is located on Chautauqua Avenue in the heart of Lakewood, New York. From a warm and courteous staff, think cheers where everybody knows your name kind of atmosphere, to high-quality beverages and food options, Ryder's Cup offers delicious teas, coffees, shakes, and so much more. 
check out their seasonal specials and their artwork displays by local artists. You're sure to find a friendly and fun experience at one of Lakewood's local gems, Riders Cup Coffee. Shocked by Ed's assault, Jack stumbles and falls to the pavement. He's lying flat on his back, looking up at the night sky. Jack's story isn't over yet, but we'll get back to him in a minute. Right now, let's focus on Ed. Ed is apprehended and taken to Dunkirk Police Department. Upon hearing the news of a murder committed right in front of two police officers, District Attorney Patterson arrives at the department around four in the morning to ascertain information about the shooting of Jack Doherty. Before going into the interrogation with Ed, District Attorney Patterson asks police officer French to come in with him. French's job is to remember as many facts about the questioning as possible. Patterson reads a still very drunk Ed his rights, to which the latter replies in a drunken fashion, I appreciate that, and I thank you. Now that Ed has been read his rights, the questioning can begin. Did you have a gun? Patterson asks. I will not answer that question, Ed replies. He claims to have returned to sell his house for his hat, fired one shot, then heard someone else fire a shot from inside the house unseen to him. Two shots were fired from the revolver. No, just one. Examine the gun. You'll see. How is Jack coming along? He's in a serious condition. Uh, I hope he'll die. He ought to have been killed by some good man before this. This is a serious matter for you. I don't care. I can stand it. If he'd told me he wanted to fight, I would have accommodated him. At this comment, Ed flexes his bicep and asks Patterson to feel how strong he is. He goes on about Jack knocking out some of his teeth, and when Patterson asks him if he'd like a doctor, Ed replies, No, you should see me after a real fight. At this, attorney Thomas Larkin, who is assigned to Ed Burnett, comes into the interrogation room and asks Ed if he's made any written statement. Ed puts his arm around Patterson's shoulders and says, No, I have not said anything I couldn't change if I wanted to. Thank you very much. He's been very kind to me. Ed is taken back to his jail cell. Let's pause here for a quick second. That interview between District Attorney Patterson and Ed Burnett that I just read, that was actually published in the newspaper. I didn't make that up. That is factual. That is an interview. All right, back to it. Meanwhile, Jack is taken to Brooks Memorial Hospital. He's been shot and stabbed before, but this time it feels different. Later, the autopsy would show the shot went through his abdomen, then went slightly upwards and outwards, finally resting at a point under the shoulder blade. The doctors did what they could, but Jack's pain is immense, and he is informed that his wound, well, it's not survivable. With somber acknowledgement, Jack makes a statement. It reads this. 
I, John Doherty, have given up hope of recovery and know that I am going to die. Burnett and I went to Doherty's place together. We had a fight there. He said he would put the rest of the houses on the bum. He wanted one of the girls to go to bed, but they would not go. I was pummeling him on the lounge and told him to go home and stay there. He went out. He came back with a revolver. I was in the back kitchen with James McCafferty when he fired. This shot did not hit me. I ran out the side door to get away. I thought it was an officer outside, and I told him to lock him up. Then he shot me. I did not hear him say anything. I did not have any revolver or weapon except I had a penknife in my pocket. It was Burnett who shot me. I was there on the sidewalk, and so was Burnett. Signed, John Doherty. It's not often that a case has such a clear statement from a murder victim. District Attorney Patterson helped Jack write this proclamation naming Burnett as his killer. Twelve days after being shot by Ed on the sidewalk outside Stella's house, Jack succumbs to his injuries on May 29th. None of the information we've discussed is disputed. It's all factual, all true. So what does the defense have to make a case for Ed Burnett? Everyone who was at the party that fateful evening is brought up to the witness stand in court. Gertie Johnson makes an overly emotional scene as she sobs on the witness stand. She's ushered out of the courtroom quickly. Anna Marshall confirms that she was ill from imbibing in excess that evening. She didn't see or hear anything. Stella defends her abusive boyfriend, shielding his reputation as best as she can. But it's hard when she's a madam who supported a lazy drunk with her earnings from her house of ill fame. And Hazel Livingston tells the courtroom what she heard Ed murmur as he walked away from the house. I'll get the blank blank yet. Public speaking is all formal and no foul language is permitted. So Edward Burnett's crass and crude terms have been censored. All of the testimonies are extremely damaging for Ed. The crumbling defense has only one leg to stand on, Burnett's intoxication. The defense attorney took issue with the way Ed was questioned as well. He objects to the questioning of a drunk man under duress, but the jury is not swayed. The defense isn't finished fighting yet. Burnett shot Doherty, no doubt, but was the act premeditated or a crime of passion? The jury mulls over that tidbit when they deliberate. But ultimately, in July of 1910, Edward Burnett is sentenced to death by electric chair and is to be held at Auburn State Prison until his sentence is carried out. But reading further on in the newspaper archives, I discovered that after a few appeals, on March 2nd, 1912, New York's Governor Dix reduces Ed's sentence to life in prison. And that's our story for today. 
It's easy for us to armchair quarterback these stories, to see how every decision, whether rash or well-planned, leads our players toward their fate. We immediately see the consequences of their actions. But how often do we analyze our own choices or their outcomes? Just something to ponder as we weave our own tales. That's a wrap for today. Thank you for tuning in, dear listener. Check out the next episode, the final episode of season two. I'll be sharing extra tidbits from murder cases, behind the scenes informations, some dark humor, and maybe some extra special guests. Thank mm-hmm. you.